This is Paul Nobles from Eat and Form. I am sitting here with Nose Tour host Chris Dietz. We host this program basically, which is uh, we talk a little bit about training and programming, kind of in an entertaining way. And uh, Chris, do you want to say hi to everyone? Morning, everybody. So I have been in San Diego. We are actually kind of making a push right now for our membership drive for the March 1st challenge. And so if you're listening to this, you're not a member, this would be a good time to join because we have some various discounts and, and things of this nature that make it attractive to do so. Um, in terms of like training and things of this nature, you know, we, we usually get an update from Chris on how his training's going as it relates to uh, his meet that's coming up here. And then I'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, I got, so this week I was working on my openers, um, just trying to find that groove, find which weights I'm going to plan to start with. Um, it looks like I'm going to be starting basically where I, ended at the last meet in August. So, um, was able to hit, um, 435 with ease for my squat was able to hit 325 with bench with ease. Um, and then my deadlift I'll be testing later today, but I, I hit 500 earlier this week with no problems at all. So I should be able to start right where I left off and then build up from there. That that's kind of the plan. So Chris is training for a powerlifting meet. Um, my training tends to be a little bit more, um, you know, hybrid athletic based. So, you know, I do a lot more cardio stuff. Um, I do some strength training as well in that regard. And then, you know, I also do CrossFit on occasion with the CrossFit Open coming up. You know, I've been working on my cardio capacity a little bit. And so I'm kind of excited about that. Um, I don't think I'm going to crush the CrossFit Open. I haven't really been training actively for CrossFit. But I was sort of surprised, you know, this week in San Diego, um, like yesterday actually, yesterday morning, I did stairs at the San Diego Convention Center. And so that was, uh, that was sort of interesting, you know. Um, had a, kind of some funny stories from from that. I remember one that was kind of cool. Um, I was with this this gal, and I don't know if she was new to training or not, um, but it, it seemed like you know she she hadn't been doing stairs for the last eight years like I've been, right? And um, you know I think it's sort of funny whenever you do something like that because uh, you know you subconsciously get into a race you know, with the people that are around you, whether you like it or not, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to judge yourself by that. And, uh, you know, I was kind of in time with this gal for a while there. And, uh, this is probably, you know, maybe, I don't know, this might've been like her third or fourth rep, you know, where she was going seriously after it. And I was coming up behind her and, uh, I was on the, on the left of her and, you know, I had kind of like this next gear where I could have kind of passed her. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to give her this one. And uh, and so so I held back a little bit just so, you know, she didn't, you know, just so she could have that that little accomplishment, which I, I thought was kind of kind of a fun little thing. You know, I know I remember that. I remember that very, very vividly when I first started off, you know, those little accomplishments um, meant a lot and they built up to something that is, you know, kind of bigger. Um, I did talk a little bit. I made a video where I was talking, um, a little bit about why Eat Perform differs from other places and, and how we view things differently. And, uh, you know, I was, I was really sort of comparing it to like the view of P90X and how they view dieting as kind of like this, you know, under eating while extreme exercising. And what was most interesting about that is that while I was in San Diego, you know, I wasn't just running stairs every single day, you know. And when you're doing like high intensity exercise, 
which actually in the case of P90X, you know, it really isn't high intensity exercise. It's just higher intensity exercise than you're used to, right? You can't exist, you know, above your red line the whole time. And, and you look at a sport like CrossFit or something like that, those folks aren't above their red line. They aren't in pukey stage. You know, like when, when I got done with the stairs, um, you know, I ended up doing 15 reps total and I, I had planned to stop at 13 and I was like, nah, you know, come on, push it two more, you know? I mean, my legs didn't stop shaking probably for the next 45 minutes, you know? And, and, and my point being is not, Oh my God, Paul's so gangster. You know, my point is that, um, you know, you have to change your routine up a little bit and kind of modify it to, to get the results that you want. And if all you're thinking is, you know, burn fat down, down, down all the time, eat less, you know, your body's going to eventually just adjust to that. And that's one of the reasons why people struggle seeing results or, you know, like in my case, you know, I lost a lot of weight early on, but because I was taking a, a cardio approach where I wasn't really throwing in a bunch of, um, you know, stuff that was going to keep my muscle, um, you know, I didn't look very muscular, you know, once I kind of got to like some of those goal weights and stuff like that. And so, you know, when I was in San Diego, yeah, I did some running because it was outside and it was sunny and I can't normally do that here in Minnesota. But I also had days where I did handstand push-ups, push-up, um, handstand push-ups, push-ups, you know, things of that nature, just to kind of keep that going. And then today, you know, the daily challenge is um, pull-ups and, and push-ups, like a combination of the two, because, you know, my calves are kind of worn out. My legs are a little tired from yesterday. And so, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty crazy, too, because, um, I mean, like, Teresa, who's, you know, kind of the, the designer on our marketing team, you know, she was sort of surprised at the amount of food that I was I was putting away, you know. And uh, what was interesting about it was that when I woke up this morning, you know, I was really super lean. And, um, you know, it, it, one of the topics that I want to talk about is kind of how your cardio capacity gets lost just for the simple fact that, you know, it's seasonal you know, and you're stuck inside. And so that was pretty noticeable. And so we'll kind of, we'll kind of run over some of that and, and then how, you know, some of the adjustments that you can make in that process. Cause even, you know, even in my scenario, um, you know, I, I'm not always great about doing that. Right. And so, you know, I can hold myself a little bit more accountable. So, you know, you don't end up, up digging the hole, uh, too big. Right. So, so, uh, one of the things that was, was, was kind of funny is when I was in California, I was in a conversation with a client and, uh, Kim Christensen and both Kim and I have a similar story. You know, we come from kind of extreme obesity background and the gal that we were talking to, you know, was referring to herself as obese and it was sort of troubling you know for me because one I mean I know this person fairly well you know and and she's she's not obese you know she's certainly when I think obese I think morbidly obese you know and she's certainly not that you know because um, I certainly was that and so like you know comparing what I used to be to uh, you know her you know, she would have been my goal, you know, for a long part of my journey. Um, same thing with Kim. You know, she comes from a, a background where she was holding a lot of fat, had, a, you know, a lot of fat to use and, and ultimately um, became a coach at Eat Form. And, and if you like, to, if you ever look at Kim's profile picture, it's crazy. It looks like she's a warrior, you know. And so the person asked me, you know, she said, well, while I was exercising today, I started thinking to myself, how do you guys define obesity? 
And what she was really fishing for is sort of an excuse, you know, for a way to kind of justify her diagnosis of obesity, you know, and, and I hope that she takes this in, in the manner that I'm presenting it because, you know, um, we've had a number of discussions and I just really think that this person, well, I think, I don't think that this person's obese. I think this person, you know, um, is still trying to figure things out a little bit and, you know, we'll be able to help her at some point. And, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of the, how the spectrum works is that the good majority of people out there want kind of a quick, you know, fix type of thing. And ultimately, um, you know, it requires some level of understanding, some level of forgiveness, some level of patience. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's ultimately how you end up reaching your goals long term. So she asked me, how, how do I define, uh, how did I define obesity um, while she was exercising? And I said, um, well, first of all, you know, um, my wife was scared to have sex with me because every time we had sex, my chest would turn purple and veiny. And it, it seemed like I could potentially have a heart attack and ultimately I did have a heart attack scare when I was 38 and I don't want to get into it. It's kind of a longer story. I, I didn't have a heart attack, um, but it was totally conceivable to me that I could be having a heart attack because I wasn't, you know, physically capable and, and, and things of that nature. And then I explained to her that I slept downstairs most of the time because just walking up the stairs would be exhausting, you know, and it would wake me up. And so, uh, you know, if walking upstairs constitutes extreme exercise for you, you know, then I think that, you know, possibly obesity is a diagnosis that you should consider. Um, but uh, the last thing I said to her is I said, um, one way I know that I was obese is because I never thought about obesity when I was fucking exercising because I never fucking exercised, you know? <laughs> and I was trying to point out to this person who works out all the time, like, probably harder than I work out, that, you know, she needs to forgive herself a little bit you know, because she's already doing a lot of the work that will ultimately land her, you know, where she wants to go. And, and you know, it's sort of like this short-term thought process that's ultimately kind of hurting her. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you probably had those moments in your life too, right, Chris, where, you know, activity wasn't a priority in your life. And so, you know, you, you never really you know, thought of obesity while you were on the treadmill for an hour and a half because you weren't on the treadmill for an hour and a half. No, uh, it, they were, those moments were always like playing on the floor with my kid who was two at the time. Um, and I, I was getting winded playing with a two-year-old on my living room floor without leaving the living room. It's like, I should not be out of breath right now. Like that's when those thoughts would occur, not when I started exercising, like, and not now, but I think, I think people get wrapped up in that a little bit just from things like the BMI charts and things like that. Like, I go to the doctor and he's like, oh, you're obese on this scale. And it's like, well, not really, man. Like, I, mean, I, I get that. But. <laughs> all you do is, like, you just take off your shirt at that point and go, I think I'm good, doc. Yep, yep. <laughs> my last visit, he actually added lifts a lot of weights into my chart. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like... Uh... You know, everybody else my age is like asking for Viagra, and I'm like, good. <laughs> you know, so I, th I think the obesity diagnosis probably isn't isn't accurate here. You know, um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about actually, that we had a few topics, but one of the topics was kind of interesting. We were in um, San Diego, and and a guy came out of the pool. Um, and it was very impressive physique guy was like six, four, you know, has two daughters with him and he had, um, he had on swim trunks and, 
hold, hold on one second. She's in our bedroom. Um, my my daughter just came down looking for our dog, but the problem was if I bring my dog, you know, she'll kind of interrupt the podcast. So I, she's in the kennel in my um, bedroom, and so. Uh, so this guy gets out, very impressive physique, obviously takes care of himself. Um, and, you know, we started having a discussion. Once again, it was kind of me and Teresa. I don't know why I had so many ab discussion with Teresa this weekend, but yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, and I said, yeah, we should do a podcast on innies versus outies. And what I mean is, is there's really two different types of abs. And I think it's sort of important to talk about the discussion on how you would train your abs to kind of see a result. Because I think, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the bullshit that you hear out there is, is like, you know, abs are made in the kitchen. Abs are made in the weight room, you know. And how you train those abs is ultimately depending, you know, you can train them in a way that you can look a certain way or you can look another way. And we'll make the argument for, for both of them, right? Um, because I think they're, you know, I, you know, anybody seeing this guy with his two daughters, you know, like Chris was saying, I had those moments too where my kids would, uh, you know, they would, they remember me when I was winded walking up the stairs and, and now, you know, they see me, you know, running 20 miles, you know, just walking out the door, you know, and so that's, it's kind of a, a nice little juxtaposition for them to see, um, as it relates to like, you know, the value of work capacity over time. So in terms of any abs versus Audi abs. Probably the best way to describe it is, at least for men, and, and I'll talk a little bit about it for women as well, but I'm trying to give you examples. So men is the best example. If you look at bodybuilders now compared to bodybuilders back in the 70s. So for instance, there's always that that Arnold Schwarzenegger where his uh, um, abs are tucked in. You know, he's kind of doing a stomach vacuuming thing. Um, that like hollow core kind of. Yeah. Back, back then, there was no physique, comp, you know, competitions. It was it was really all just bodybuilding. And so the physiques that they were going for in bodybuilding competitions were a little bit more of what I would consider like the optimal beach composition, right? Or maybe like swimsuit models or, or something of that nature. And so um, you wouldn't see those guys get enormous the way that bodybuilders are now. So if you see Phil Heath and you see him push out his abs and then flex you know, you'll see, you know, kind of like these blocks, you know, rather than, um, you know, kind of bunches of muscles the way that you would in like a physique type of, of person, right? Um, where, you know, they look like eight little tiny biceps as opposed to like these big, huge blocks. So how does that happen, right? How does Phil Heath become... 4% at 270 pounds and then his physique competitor is you know 190 pounds but also looks good right um and you know I, I hate kind of bringing up um those guys so one of the other people that I'm going to bring up in this scenario is Rich Froning because that's a that's a really good example of sort of a hybrid of the two Right. So um, the reason why Phil Heath has Audi abs is because he trains them that way. And so one of the things that um, and, and, you know, feel free to disagree with me on this, Chris. But, you know, one of the arguments for you or not using a belt is that pushing into a belt 
develops those muscles in a way that they're out. For instance, I have Audi abs, like big time. And Chris's abs are, are pretty, pretty out too, where you see like a lot of the muscle develops around your abs also to support like the, the overall core. Now, once again, you know, if you look at, if you look at a picture of me, you know, um, when I was early on into my journey, um, and I was 162 pounds, you would see, you know, probably more of that physique look than, than you would now, you know, it, it's still similar. I'm just like thicker. Right. And just, and, and what's funny is speaking of rich froning is that 2010 rich froning. If you go back and look at 2010 rich froning and you look at rich froning in 2016, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. For you to get better at exercise, you're naturally going to become a, you know, thicker athlete. And I think you see, you know, another good example would be, I remember seeing like Roddy White was a wide receiver for Atlanta. And he was at like a, you know, in one of the, the huddles after the game or something like that where they were giving game balls. And, and I was thinking to myself, like, that is an example of an athlete, right? That's an example. And he didn't have like physique athlete, you know, and like, you know, there's always that like beach guy, you know, that you look at and go, wow, you know, that guy's impressive. But the other thing is also impressive. I mean, I don't think most, you know, I mean, like, my my joke is, you know, um, um, you know, I remember one time someone was criticizing Rich Froning. And, you know, I mean, I'm not like a super Rich Froning guy, but the guy was being kind of a jerk, you know. And I was like, your girlfriend would not say no, brother, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, uh, you know, because he's making fun of, you know, what he does, and I don't have any, you know, deference to what anyone do, does to get to their level of fitness, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Rich Froning is a, you know, has an impressive physique, um, so I'm going to hand off to you, and, 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 you know, I mean, obviously, we're, we're kind of talking about some broader concepts, and then we'll talk a little bit more about specific training, but can you give, you know, your thoughts on, on what I'm saying and in, in, in terms of how, you know, you're developing, you know, thicker um, kind of Audi abs compares to any abs? Sure. Um, I, I think using the belt has something to do with that. Uh, like you were kind of touching on that is that um, in a way the belt offers resistance to your abs. So it, it's, where you when you're doing like a crunch or those kinds of planks things like that, it's a little different than when your abs are actively pressing against a belt because now you, you're adding resistance to the mix, um, kind of like body weight versus weighted, you know, squats, something like that. You're going to get a little different effect. But um, when you're doing things like weightlifting and you're you're doing snatches or clean and jerks or squats and you got to have that solid thicker core to be able to support that kind of weight, especially if you're going to progress, like you don't get a 500 pound squat by having a tiny, tiny little waist. You have to develop those core muscles to be able to transfer force from the ground to the bar. So I, I, I think that's where part of where that development comes in. Yeah. I mean, no, I did use the example of a belt. I don't use a belt. Um, for the good majority of my training, it's very rare for me to put on a belt. Um, but I still have Audi abs, right? Well, all a belt does, and, and, and I think that there's a lot of misconception as it relates to belts. One of the things that I think a belt helps you do is understand how bracing works, right? And if you can push into that belt, one of the best examples, and we, we you know, if I can find show notes um, with Dr. Um, Quinn Hinnock, um, he talks about bracing and how you're not really just trying to push your abs into the belt. You're actually trying to push your whole core so your whole core is engaged 
so you can then sit down with 500 pounds on your back and then get up, right? And so I'll, I'll try and add that to the show notes. And you're like, well, Paul, what's show notes? I are there show notes? No, this is actually something I'm, I'm sort of figuring out that in um, podcasts, uh, show notes is kind of a big deal. So I'm going to try and get you guys something from Dr. Quinn, um, who is very, you know, he's kind of a big in the juggernaut world. And uh, so his stuff, I think, is pretty interesting. But what we're really talking about is inverse versus transverse training. And what the contrast of the two, Chris described it perfectly, is when you're doing something like a plank, what you're essentially doing um, is training the muscle differently than you would be if you were doing a you know heavy squat you know one of the things that happens for a lot of people is they'll find that they actually get more hurt at lower weights with more reps with worse form than they will when they have a heavy weight because if you have 500 pounds on your back you know to take it serious right but if you have 155 pounds on the back and you're trying to do that for 20 well you don't take it as serious all the time and you don't brace your core and ultimately you you open yourself up for inefficiency and so when you look at you know and I know for myself you know I, I could do more plank work you know I could do more um, you know I'm not a huge stomach vacuuming guy. I will say that, you know, because a lot, of, a lot of people do talk about that. And, and what stomach vacuuming is, is it basically activates the, the inner core muscles. Um, I believe that that's transverse, but I don't want to say that. And then that, that end up being wrong. So maybe I'll try and add something like that to show notes as well. But basically what you're doing is you're kind of pulling the abs back in. Kind of stabilizing the core so the abs don't go as far out right and so a lot of the times you know and and this does relate to fat loss in the fact that people say i i feel more fluffy or more bloated you know now that i started to work out than i used to yeah that totally makes sense and the reason why it makes sense is your fat layer is not going to change that dramatically but when you start activating your muscles and in turn your body starts using those nutrients to fill those muscles and then you know you used to push in you know to your stomach and then there was nothing there and now you're pushing in and there's something there well yeah, the fat layer is going to be pushed out a little bit more too, but your core is is stronger because you're a more capable human being now. And, you know, you will always, you know, even right now, I'm, I'm relatively lean, probably 13 to 15% right now. But, I mean, as I'm sitting down here right now, you know, and, and you know, I've talked to the best CrossFit Games athletes in the world um, and some of the fittest people that you'll ever meet. And they feel it too. When they sit down, you know, they they feel loose skin, you know. I mean, right now I'm kind of kind of feeling through my obliques and my abs and stuff like that. And I feel tighter than normal. But some it's very normal to feel this way, especially as you're progressing. Because, you know, when we're talking about training concepts, what we're really trying to sell you guys on is the idea of a long-term commitment and that long-term commitment pays dividends. And, you know, if you see, you know, 2010 fit Rich Froning, 2010 fit Rich Froning would get his ass kicked by 2016 super fit Rich Froning, right? And when you look at the way that the sport has progressed, you know, it's progressed as it relates to, you know, um, kind of him pushing the needle, the sport pushing the needle, and ultimately everyone getting fitter as a result. 
Um, any thoughts on that? Because I do want to talk a little bit about, about females and female physiques in that process. Um, because I think obviously it's very common for people to talk about, you know, I don't want to get bulky and stuff like that. And I want to, I want to make sure that everyone's understanding that, you know, you can train, you, you control that switch. Yeah. Just wanted to touch, like, I think you nailed it when you're talking about how people feel, say they feel a little fluffy through the abdomen, whatever, um, you know, your abs are muscles too. And as you're getting stronger and you're training and you're using those muscles appropriately, it's going to fill your core out a little bit. So everything that's there has to go somewhere and it can't go in. So it's going to push out a little bit. So you're going to get that feeling, but that that's not a bad thing. It, it means you're getting stronger and you're developing that area. Well, and, so, and, and I mean, just to, just to kind of piggyback off of what Chris is saying is that the more athletic you are, basically, you know, if they're measuring it in a lab, the way that they measure it is that the more athletic people burn fat more efficiently. And so even though, you know, your fat layer might be pushing out, you know, you're certainly going to be using fat more efficiently as you pursue athleticism. And yep. so, you know, what, what I think is sort of interesting about it is I think people will see muscles sort of peeking out where they weren't used to muscles peeking out. Like I'm talking about like for new trainees and stuff like that. Um, but also, um, you know, pitchers do a great job here. You know, we always tell people to take pitchers and, and I know a lot of times people, you know, aren't, um, you know, they, they, they sort of get frustrated with pitchers and then they'll look at scale weight and, and well, my scale weight's not going down. But if you look at those pitchers three months later where you're feeding your body an adequate amount and you're doing all this extra work and you're, you're stronger and all this other type of stuff and you look at that pitcher three months later and it's just drastically different. Now, it sort of depends on how you train, right? Um, like I said, you know, yeah. You know, I was able to mobilize a fair amount of fat using a lot of high-intensity cardio and longer cardio and things of that nature. But um, my overall body fat percentage wasn't changing that dramatically because I wasn't, you know, kind of keeping the lean mass that ultimately became a priority you know, in, in like this next phase that ended up working. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, any, any thoughts on that before we move on to kind of like the way that women might want to think about, about that? No, that's real, man. I think you nailed that one. So, so in terms of, of females, I think that, you know, most women would not want to look like Phil Heath. As an example, I think that's like a safe assumption. And and what you used to see is, um, and I'm going to take a sip of coffee here real quick. What you used to see was females training with performance enhancing drugs. And they looked manly as it relates to, you know, the their what their goals were. Because what they were trying to do was put on as much muscle mass as the men. And what you're seeing now, you know, and, and you know, it, it, you're always, you're always kind of stuck having to talk about performance enhancing drugs when we're talking about like physique training and stuff like this. But what you're seeing now is kind of like this, at least with women, and, I, and I'll, I'll start talking about like, CrossFit Games people as well, because obviously that's something we work with a lot, and we'll kind of, you know, change that discussion, um, because I think, you know, when we're talking about natural athletes compared to, you know, enhanced athletes, it's a little bit of a different scenario, but a lot of the pictures that people would see were, you know, these women that were taking testosterone or these drugs that essentially allowed for um, bigger muscles, 
um, you know, and, and sort of change their facial structure and things of this nature, and, and they started to look manly. Well, yeah, because they were, they were injecting themselves with manly, you know, hormones. And, uh, you know, when the sport stopped doing that, which has actually been relatively recently, you'll see, you know, uh, Dana Lynn Bailey is a, is a great example. I mean, can you think of any other big physique people that, that, that are kind of highly followed? I, I don't follow those people all that much. Not, not off the top of my head. Dana is probably the, the prime example. Yeah, I would say that the good majority of people look at Dana Lynn Bailey and go, man, you know, I would love to look like that. And um, very attractive lady, you know, very fit lady, you know, eight packed up, right, all that stuff. And um, the way that she trains is similar to the way that physique men train, where, you know, they're kind of looking for more of the kind of any abs look, though her abs are actually quite developed. Um, so she's going to be doing some level of inverse work, some level of transverse work, and ultimately that's going to give her kind of this look. I know that, you know, she, I don't think that she's won um, uh, recently like the Olympia, but, you know, that's kind of distracting. Um, she may have won in the past. I'm not sure. I think she was actually the first winner of like the physique um, competition for females. Um, people are going to kill me on this one, so I'll, I'll try and do something. I'll, I'll try and do something in show notes related to Dana Lynn Bailey as well. So, um, but when you look at CrossFit Games athletes, you know, and probably a great example would be somebody like Camille Blanc Bazinet. Or Julie Fouché. It's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we were able to uh, body fat test Julie, who um, I, I think you know most people would love to have their physique. You know, um, if you were looking at a physique to have, um, she's certainly a very attractive lady. And uh, when I tell people that. You know, Julie Fouché is roughly 15%. They were like, no way, she's totally 10%. Um, well, we did get to body fat test a lot of these people. And so, you know, we know what we're talking about. And for the in the case of females, you know, especially athletic females, having a certain amount of body fat on your body is going to be, you know, helpful one of the things that you'll often see for really super lean women is that they'll lose their period, things of that nature. A lot of that is from uh, under eating to get lean. And what you often see with, with CrossFit Games athletes is that they're able to get very, very lean eating a good amount of food. Now, one of the more interesting things that, that I heard was from Sam Briggs. And um, what, what I think is awesome about Sam's journey, well, first of all, she's an older athlete, right? Rather than, other than the good majority of people, she kind of comes from more of a cardio-based style of training. The year that she won was very cardio. Um, and... Uh, but one of the things that she said that really resonated with me and I think resonated for a lot of the female CrossFit Games athletes, I think it's a little bit overdone, but because you could look at Annie Thorstarter as a juxtaposition of that conversation and, it, and, and you know, it's kind of the opposite. But what she said was that she didn't want to build too much muscle because she didn't want that to you know she didn't want to you know for instance i think she the year she won she was 135 for her to be at 155 um would have sort of hurt her unique style as it relates to the games right i mean she's sort of built to be kind of like the the cardio person so she's not going to like crush brooke ints as an example on kind of the the um 
you know, the heavy weightlifting type stuff. Both of them, you know, have very, you know, attractive physiques, um, but it's just they, they kind of approach it from a, from a different angle. And then on any given year, you know, whatever the, the, the fittest person is, you know, is going to ultimately be kind of a hybrid of the two or it's going to tilt one way or tilt the other way, depending on how it's programmed for that year. And so um, a great example of the opposite would be Annie Thorstarter, you know, where, you know, Annie, um, it, you know, her published weight is somewhere in the 155 pound range. And you'll see, you know, Annie has, you know, kind of that thicker look, you know, whereas, you know, Julie and Sam, well, Sam, Sam definitely, uh, Sam is, is very tight. You know, I would say, you know, just judging from, uh, I've never body fat tested Sam, but I would say she's closer to 10 to 12. Um, for females, you have to factor in, you know, <laughs> you know chest and hips, right? Um, yep. You know, if, if your mama and your grandma had chest and hips, you know, no matter how, you know, fit you get, you're probably going to have chest and hips. And so that relates to um, your overall body fat percentage and, you know, how your, you know, ultimate goal is going to look like. And so when you look at Annie Thorstarter, you know, she comes from Iceland and, you know, the women there are 10, you know, kind of, you know, we have um, Anna Hulda who's in our meal planning group and she's also from Iceland. She trains with Annie. Um, you know, she has a different look than Annie, but it's pretty similar, right? They, they, they both, um, you know, kind of have, you know, a, for better or worse, the Viking queen kind of look, you know, where, um, and Catherine, Katrin Davis' daughter also trains with those guys. And they all kind of look, you know, probably more similar to each other than they do to, say, Camille or Sam Briggs, right? Um, when you see Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet in real life, you're like, wow, you know? Um, and actually, when you see Rich Froning in real life, you're like, wow. Because when you see these people on TV, it seems like they're like 6'2", you know, 210 pounds, super athletic. And then you're like, you know, I'm 5'8". I walk up next to, you know, Matt Frazier and I could dunk on that dude, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, like, like I, I walk up next to Rich Froning and like we're the same height. You know, and, you know, he's obviously much more physically capable than I am. But what's interesting about, like, the fittest people on earth, and this is actually some of the argument that critics will often say, you know, and I think it's a fair criticism, but, you know, it sort of misses the point a little bit. If you ask me what the optimal physique is to win the CrossFit Games for men, I would say 195 pounds and about 5'9", five, 5'10". Right, because when you're kind of six two, six three, you know, two ten, two twenty, you know, you look at Chad McKay as an example from Australia, who's kind of similar to that, or Nate Schrader, or some of the um, Tommy Hackenbrook. These guys are outliers for their size athlete, and they're able to compete very well. Um, the women are all over the board, though. I mean, it's so interesting um, because, and I think this this sort of represents how women are in general. Like, for instance, dudes tend to be like big or small, right? And we all look like some version of that. Women, there's like 15 different body types, and every single one of them is represented, you know, in this fittest competition. Um, and I think that that's sort of interesting. And then when you go to teams, you'll often see, you know, 180, 190 pound female that might be like 5'10", 6 feet tall, something like that. You, you really start to see, you know, kind of the, the bar being pushed in that regard. So when you look at 
you know, somebody like Sam Briggs, who's just shredded, right? Um, how does she get there? And what does she do to do it? Well, the good news is for you guys is that I actually had a conversation with Sam about that. And what was interesting about that conversation was she basically described Eat to Perform to a T. You know, what she does is out of season you know, she works on getting stronger. She makes sure she's eating an adequate amount of food. Um, she then dials in her nutrition out of season, similar to the way that we do our, you know, Olympians, you know, CrossFit Games athletes, you know, whatever. Um, triathletes, you know, we don't want people kind of dieting, you know, while training for the sport because they're just not going to get better, at, you know, in that regard. And so when you look at Sam and, you know, you go through these seasons where you're sort of tearing down your muscle, you're trying to eat an adequate amount, you know, so you can kind of get through these competitions. I'm not going to say that it, it necessarily atrophies the muscle, but it's not allowing them to kind of progress to these new strength levels, similar to what you know, I described earlier between 2010 and 2016. So then you go, well, how do, you know, how do, how are we get here from a discussion on abs? Well, how we get here is how you train, right? So if you're doing CrossFit, as an example, you're going to be doing a lot of bracing of your core. Um, I would argue that some of the transverse stuff um, is 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 definitely supplementary type of things. So if your um, CrossFit box is doing a lot of planks, good for those guys, you know. Or um, ab wheel rollouts also will sort of help, you know, from a transverse perspective. Um, all of these things are kind of popular. But if if you're doing things and you're you're mostly focused on you know, kind of bracing your core and things of this nature, you're going to develop your abs in a way that, you know, you should go into how you want to look as your plan, right? So when you look at Brooke Ince, you know, she's going to train for some level of uh, broad fitness, but she's not going to neglect kind of the strength side. On the opposite end, you have Sam Briggs, who's going to try and get stronger, but she's not going to like kill her aerobic capacity. Brooke Ince is likely never going to be Sam Briggs, but hopefully, you know, she's kind of doing enough to be a little bit more competitive, and then Sam's doing enough on the strength side of things. So from your perspective, you go, well, okay, that's good, but how do I get abs? Well, and then how do I get the kind of abs that I want to look like? Well, the answer is train the way that you want to look like, you know? And if you like doing something like, you know, more physique training, I don't think anybody really likes that. <laughs> like, I mean, do you know, I mean... From the perspective, I think powerlifting and crossfitting, they tend to be fun because you're challenging yourself a little bit more. Some of that bodybuilding stuff, I think people get bored with that real quick. I mean, am I wrong there? I mean, or, or do you feel like do you feel like I'm being too critical? No, I, I think it takes a little different mindset um, in that regard. It's like you got to prepare to go in and grind like set after set after set. Um, obviously you're going to get some strength gains from that, but it's not the same as powerlifting or, you know, improving in Oli or CrossFit. Like, you know, you're going in trying to develop a muscle and not trying to put the most weight on the bar per se, you know? So I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it takes a very different uh, focused mindset to be able to do that. Yeah, some of the daily challenges that we've been doing, kind of we started to do that as sort of a supplemental way of, of training so you can get a little bit more specific. And, you know, 
in the last, you know, two months or so, I've seen my chest, you know, just see a lot of gains based on doing more push-ups, you know? Um, yep. But if you only did push-ups once a week, you know what I mean? You're not going to see. And so, like, for instance, for me, you know, chest is the underdeveloped body part. For me, glutes is an underdeveloped body part. So when you're new to fitness and you're just getting better at everything all at once, awesome. Continue doing that as long as possible. But at some future point, there's you're probably going to have some needs. And when you look at the Eperform Coaches Certification, the way that we sort of teach people to teach themselves is um, to analyze you know, what they want to see and then ultimately use that to get to the direction that they want to go rather than just going, you know, I have more fat than I would like, you know, so therefore I'm going to starve myself all the time. Or um, I really like doing CrossFit. It does push a lot of buttons for me. Okay, then let's do that three times a week and then let's let's have like some of the goal specific type stuff, you know, as accessories to that or maybe even you know kind of one day specifically working on you know things like that as well you know because if you're not doing any days where you're doing hypertrophy work and you add one day well that's going to help a lot and then all of a sudden you start to see that you know your chest is exploding and that's what you wanted as a guy you or as a female you know you start doing more lunges hip thrusters and things of that nature and then you know your ass is looking good in yoga pants and you're like, well, I'm going to continue doing that. I think that's really what we're trying to kind of expose people to is to look at what you want and then how you can model your training to, to get that result. And, you know, if you want to ask, you know, Chris or myself, uh, Sam, Catherine, um, Crystal's actually been pretty active over there. You know, she's, um, she's, you know, kind of trains in more of a bodybuilding type of way. And so the, the answer isn't to go, well, Chris does this or Paul does this. It really is to, to kind of do what I was sort of talking about with, you know, you know, you have Sam Briggs, you have Julie Fouché, you have Dana Lynn Bailey. They all have physiques that most people would, you know, like to look like right here's the problem in every single scenario there's a lot of work involved right and so you may be a lawyer you may be a teacher you know you might not have the ability to work out six hours a day like Daniel and Bailey might be doing right so you have to come up with some type of compromise that helps you get to where you want to go where you know, food's part of the, the, the equation, so you can kind of help that adaptation of stimulus and then, you know, kind of go from there. Um, any thoughts on what I'm talking about there before we kind of shut it down or, or something that we, we really need to cover? Just wanted to say, like, just touch on it a little bit, is that if you want a certain look, you got to train for that look. It, like, if you don't want big shoulders, probably don't want to do spend a whole bunch of time doing, you know, bench and overhead press and lateral raises and things like that. Like, don't train shoulders if you don't want some sculpted shoulders. So you just got to kind of you got to make a train fit the result. Yeah, and by the way, I mean if if you look at at Camille as an example, or or Andy Thorzard, or any of these types of people, you know. You know, you can go back and look at pictures of Annie Thorstarter in 2008 as opposed to Annie Thorstarter now. And you go, well, I'd rather look like Annie Thorstarter in 2008. Well, there's a good way to do it. You're probably already doing it. You're not doing as much work because you can't because you're a lawyer or a teacher or whatever. So you're going to have a little softer look, right? But your body fat percentage isn't going to be as low because you're not developing as much muscle. You know, because you're not able to do that amount of work because you have a job, you have kids, you have, you know, all these other things. And so you're always going to be in that struggle of how much work can I do 
to reach an aesthetic, you know, but then also have a life, you know, and obviously we talk a lot about making activity a priority in your life and in trying to kind of look at it in a diverse way so you can actually see a result because I think when when people are struggling seeing a result ultimately that hurts their process you know um, but oftentimes the reason why they're struggling seeing a result is because they have viewed it wrong since day one you know they viewed it like I must have a perfectly eight pack abs underneath this fat right that's what that's the narrative actually that a lot of people want you to hear and that is total bullshit you know if you don't develop those muscles they ain't there i trust me i know i starved myself down to 150 pounds you know and i was like holy shit i don't have any muscles under here you know and uh there's so many examples of that and then all of a sudden you know you start weightlifting. And then relatively quickly, you know, your muscles get activated. And then now, you know, six to eight years into that journey, you know, um, my muscles are a lot thicker, you know. And, you know, right now, as an example, um, you know, like I said, I'll be doing a little bit more transverse training and, and you know, to, to try and kind of change my look a little bit. Um, one thing that we didn't talk a little about, I'll just kind of gloss over right now. Um, when I was in San Diego, well, one of the things that I've sort of argued is that if I grew up in, in California, I'd be a whole lot hotter. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why is because everyone there seems to be good looking. Um, and, and if you go to like, LA, it's unreal how many CrossFits there are on every single corner, you know, and, you know, same thing with Miami. Whenever people are taking their shirt off, you know, um, you're going to see that kind of thing. You know, there's not as many as an example here in Minnesota. And uh, what's interesting about that is, is that it's not ab season right now. It's building season. And so, you know, I think a lot of people get distracted with January, you know, and, you know, they come out of November and December and they're carrying a little bit more weight than they normally would carry. And they're like, I got to lose that weight. Well, the argument that I would make, and I think Chris would probably make as well, is using that weight to get stronger through, let's say, you know, January and February. And then, you know, you can go through kind of a shorter cut cycle and use that, you know, added work capacity to then, you know, look leaner. And what's nice, what's nice about actually one of the things that, that we all have against those CrossFit Games athletes and Dana Lynn Bailey's and, and th these types of people is that we can consistently work at it. Whereas they're kind of always going through some level of cycling. Like I said, you know, when you look at the CrossFit Open, regionals, CrossFit Games, there is no building at that point. There is no, you know, they're in season. And so they're, we don't need to be in season at that point. We can still be working towards a goal. So it, you, when you're thinking to yourself, I don't have six hours a day to work out, that's fine because you also don't have a competition that you're going to be going for. You don't have to be cycling. You don't have to be, you know, changing all these different routines. You can consistently work towards one path. And so an hour and a half to two hours will get you, you know, even an hour will get you a more consistent result. Yeah, it, you might not end up looking like, you know, you know, a physique model, but, you know, you'll certainly be happy, you know, with the look in the mirror. You'll see results for the hard work that you're putting in. And I think that's that's really the discussion we're having. Mm -hmm. Alright, guys. Well, I appreciate I'm gonna like I said, we're gonna actually use a show notes page for all the podcasts that we're gonna do. And so I'll do uh, various links as it relates to inverse versus transverse um, abdominals. Um, I'll get you guys 
the uh, bracing video from Dr. Quinn Hinnock, and then uh, you know I'll I'll get you some information on Dana Lynn, Dana Lynn Bailey, um, and maybe maybe some of the stuff that she she trains. You can obviously follow her. She's you know very popular in social media, and you guys are probably like, you know, trust me, dude. We know we can follow Dana Lynn Bailey. I don't follow Dana Lynn Bailey, so you know. Um, it's just not in my circle of, of influence. All right, guys. I appreciate everybody being here. Chris, you want to say goodbye to everyone? Have a good weekend, everybody. All righty. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.